0: The truly righteous build their lives on the solid rock of Christ and His Word. You're listening to Wonderlake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. What are you building your life on? What foundation are you building your life is it a solid rock, or is it sinking sand? In a moment, I'm going to put a picture up here. on It's probably one of the more famous buildings in the world. I'm sure you've seen it before. It's this building right here. We call that what? The, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And no, Steve, it's not the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I know you like to make that joke, right? So it is not that. But the Leaning Tower of Pisa is famous... ...for being a leaning tower, right? That it is built on an unstable foundation. I'm sure when they built that tower, they did not intend it to look like that, did they? But because the, f- the foundation is unstable, it started to lean like that. Now, without uh, modern intervention, it would fall over. In that, but we've been able to secure it, so it's not going to fall over anytime soon... But that's what happens when you build a building on an unstable foundation. And today we want to talk about that in terms of our lives, as building our lives on a stable foundation rather than an unstable foundation. We're continuing that in this series here on the life of Christ, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which has this theme of true righteousness. So the true righteousness is moral rightness, it's moral goodness and holiness. It is God's perfection in every thought, every attitude, every word, every deed. It is something that springs from within, from the heart, that is then expressed outwardly in our deeds. And you'll recall we've said that as Jesus was preaching this sermon about the nature of true righteousness, what it is and what it does, that he was preaching in contrast then to the Pharisees. The Pharisees' understanding of righteousness, which was what? Outer, external, and outward conformity to the law, but neglecting the heart and the spirit of the law. There was no inner purity of heart on their part. They were motivated by pride, self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, and they were hypocritical, saying one thing and doing another thing. But righteousness for Jesus says of what? It is both inner and outer, an inner conformity to the law of God, which then results in an outward conformity to the law of God. And this comes only when we first humbly admit our insufficiency. And it is ultimately, we'll see then, it's a gift that is received by faith. You know, this sermon is a very challenging sermon, but what it does is it shows us all our inadequacy, and all of our need, then, for a Savior. So continuing our series, Unique, the Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ... We are using this uh, source here, it's called One Perfect Life, which is a wonderful harmony of all of the Gospels that are put together into one flowing chronological account for us of the life, death, and ministry and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ then. And here is the theme that I want us to take away from today as we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, True Righteousness, this theme of salvation. Of true salvation and seeing that the truly righteous build their lives on the solid rock of Christ and His Word. The truly righteous build their lives on the solid rock of Christ and His Word. Before we look at our text, a little context here. Today is the sixth and final message exploring the Sermon on the Mount. As we said, the central theme of the sermon is true righteousness as opposed to the righteousness of the Pharisees. Jesus has shown us that we must not emulate or imitate the twisted teachings of the Pharisees or their hypocritical deeds, that he speaks of our values and our priorities, showing us that our ultimate concern should not be for, for earthly things, but rather for heavenly things, and that we shouldn't worry about earthly things, because God will provide for those in due time. And concerning human relationships, then, we must judge rightly, pray persistently, and treat others graciously. Today, then, we conclude, then, by looking at what Jesus told us regarding the nature of true salvation and the critical importance, then, for you and me to build our lives, then, to build our lives on the solid rock Of Christ and His Word. You know, MacArthur points out for us in this passage, and I want you to look for these as we read through these this comparison, this contrast between two things. There are many of them that we see here. There are two gates, there are two ways, there are two destinations, there are two groups of people. There are two kinds of trees. There are two kinds of fruit. There are two groups at the judgment. There are two kinds of buildings, uh, builders, and there are two kinds of foundations. So look for these then as we read through our text. Let's start then here first with this. We're told Jesus saying, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, And broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So first Jesus tells us the truly righteous then, the truly righteous enter by the narrow gate. Now the first question we might ask here is what gate is he talking about? Enter by the narrow gate. Now in those days in cities they would build walls around the city and in order to get into the city you had to enter through a gate, right? Some of the very wide gates and some of them were very, very narrow gates that you would enter to get into that city. But Jesus isn't talking about entering a gate to get into the city of Jerusalem or any other city, right? He's talking about gates to enter into what? Enter into heaven, the kingdom of heaven. And so he says, if we're going to enter into heaven, if we're going to be in right relationship with God, if we're going to have eternal life, if we're going to live forever with him in his presence, then we can't enter through the wide gate. You have to enter through the narrow gate. So what is he talking about? So this gate is the entrance to the kingdom of heaven. And he tells us we must enter by the narrow gate because the other gate that is broad, it's broad, the one that leads to destruction, that gate is broad and there are many who go through that gate. But you must enter by the narrow gate. Well, first, what is the, what is the broad gate? The broad gate is the way of trying to enter heaven, enter into the presence of God. The broad gate is all of our self-righteousness and our self-efforts, and it's the gate of works and efforts to try to do good, to be right. Now, I think it's good for us to want to do right and to do good, but if we think that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven By our own efforts, by our own works, we're not going to make it, are we? So there are many who try that way, who try to be good, to do good works, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but ultimately it just leads to destruction. You might say, well, well, why is that? Well, that's not fair. People are trying to do good. They're trying to be good, to do good things, and yet it ultimately leads to destruction. You might say, well, well why is that the case? Well, because remember we have said that the way into the kingdom of heaven to be in God's presence, does God require eh, basically being a decent person or does he require absolute perfection? He requires absolute perfection, Right? remember we said, you want God to require absolute perfection. You do. You might think, well, well, I don't know, who, nobody's, nobody's perfect. Well, one, one person is. Jesus is, right? But admittedly, are any of us here perfect? No, we're not. No one is perfect. But you want God to require perfection. Why? Well, because if he didn't, would it really be heaven? What would it be? Be like here, right? Is that what you want forever and ever? No. You want God to require absolute perfection. So God says, all right, so if you want to enter into heaven, you have to be absolutely perfect. And that's a very narrow gate, isn't it? So you've got to be absolutely perfect to enter into heaven. Hmm. Well, how many of us are going to make it then? and perfect all by ourselves not a single one of us right not a single well how can we enter then through Jesus who is the perfect one he is the gate because narrow is the gate Jesus is the gate he is the one who's perfect he is the one who lived a life of perfect obedience He is the one who is perfectly what God requires of all of us. And it's God's gift. He is God's gift to you and me that is received by trying to be nice people or work real hard. No, it's received by faith. It's faith in Christ. That's the narrow gate. And the scripture tells us when we put our trust in him, We not only have forgiveness for our sin, we're also given his perfection as a gift. Now you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I, I I'm a believer, or I know lots plenty of believers, and boy, they are hardly perfect. And we're not. We're not perfect right now, right? But we will be. That's the point. We already have that perfection right now as a gift. And his spirit is working in us to change us and transform us bit by bit, day by day. But when we go into his presence, we will stand perfectly before him. You will be perfect in every way, just as he is. Isn't that incredible to think about that? You are going to be just as perfect as Christ. (laughs) Now, you're not going to be God. I'm not going to be God. But we are going to be perfectly human, just like he was perfectly human the God-man. That's a gift received by faith. So don't try to enter by the wide gate your own efforts to do good. That way just leads to destruction because you never will. You'll never be perfect. So enter rather by the narrow gate. Now you might think here, as just said, entering by the narrow gate, well, That's hard to try to enter by the broad gate. That's hard trying to be perfect, and you can't do it. Enter by the narrow gate, that's by Christ. Christ has done it for us. Well, that's easy then, right? It's easy to enter by the narrow gate. It's just by faith in him and what he has done. But yet, what does Jesus say, though? He says, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few fun. find... Wait a minute, this is easy compared to trying to... Our own works to get us into heaven is impossible and hard. But narrow is the gate, and Jesus says it's difficult. Why? Well, it's not difficult in the sense that Jesus has done it all for us, and it's received as a gift by faith. But what is difficult about believing in Jesus? The life that he calls us to. Is Is it hard to be a follower of Jesus, to be a faithful follower of Jesus? It is some days, isn't it? Now, it's a wondrous thing and a glorious thing, and boy, would anybody trade it for anything else in all the world? I wouldn't, right? But it's a challenge to follow Christ. And some, some of us, you know, a lot of people they don't want to give up their sin, right? (laughs) They want to hold on to it. Because let's be honest, sometimes sin is fun, isn't it? Or it can get a hold of us. And it can be hard to forsake that. And I think there's also, there's just something within human beings that that, you know, what the gospel is the most wondrous news ever, the, the, the best news ever, and yet people can be so resistant to it. Why? Because they don't like being told that they're sinners and to admit that. And so it can be difficult to find that narrow gate because we have to admit that we're sinful, admit that we're not so good in and of ourselves, and turn from that, repent, Turn away from that and put our trust in Christ. And then when Christ calls us to follow us, says, uh, a German theologian and pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said this, I, think, I love what he said, he said that um, when Christ calls someone to follow him, he calls that person to come and die. Boy, now there's, there's a, that's a great marketing line, isn't it? Come and die. Come and die. Now, when Jesus tells us, come and die, what does he mean? Dying to sin, dying to self, but it's being alive to him and alive to life, isn't it? But that's hard, isn't it? It's hard to repent. It's hard to die to self. It can be hard to accept maybe the opposition that might come to you or me for faithfully following Jesus. And that's, I think, what Jesus is talking about when he says narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So the truly righteous then enter by the narrow gate. The Pharisees and their righteousness, they were not going to enter the gate into heaven. They were, on, they were going through the broad gate that leads to destruction. So the truly righteous enter by the narrow gate So there were these Pharisees. They were false prophets. They were false teachers. So Jesus has a warning then. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So the truly righteous enter by the narrow gate, and they also watch out. They also watch out for false prophets. So here are these false prophets what they are the ones who are looking to show you and to show me the way the entrance the gate the way to heaven. And so they're teaching then what? A false way, a false entrance, false doctrines. They are teaching a religion of works, a religion of self-reliance. A religion of self-righteousness. This is what the Pharisees were doing. You might say, well, we don't have Pharisees today, so we don't have to worry about this, right? Oh, no, we have Pharisees today, don't we? And we have many false teachers today, don't we? Many false prophets. And what do they all have in common? Well, they're, they're teaching a, a false way. They're not teaching the, the true way, which is the narrow way of Christ of reliance on Christ alone. And Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. You will see the evidence of this. Just as a tree bears a fruit, a fruit tree is gonna bear some kind of fruit. It may be good fruit or bad fruit, right? Well, when you look at their lives, you're going to see the evidence of that, that false prophets, false teachers, they can't produce good fruit, And what is this good fruit? Well, I would suggest that the good fruit here is the good fruit of of biblical character, biblical conduct, and fidelity or faithfulness to God's word, good doctrine. See, that a a good prophet, a, a good teacher, those things are gonna line up. That good prophet, that good teacher It's going to have the the solid foundation of God's word, God's truth. They're going to teach right doctrine. But then you're going to see evidence in their lives, though, in their character and in their conduct. Those are going to line up. Now, let me ask you, does this mean that if someone is a, a good prophet, a good teacher, that that person is perfect? Certainly not, right? Now, they're perfect in Christ, and they will be one day in his presence, right? But this is not talking about absolute perfection. Nobody is, right? But a good prophet, a godly prophet, you're going to see an alignment of that, of character, of conduct, and of faithfulness to God's word. Whereas a false prophet, what? Now, you may have a false prophet who has frankly, may, may, may be a very nice person. You might see character or conduct that, that appears to be good, right? But you're not going to have that fruit of faithfulness to God's word, God's doctrine either. So a false prophet is not going to have the good fruit of character, conduct, faithfulness to God's word. And Jesus says what? These false teachers, they will be judged. What? The, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now he's using an a illustration of literal trees that, what, they're done. What do you do with a tree? Do you just keep it around? What do you do with it? What? It gets cut down and thrown in the fire. Saying in the same way, what these false prophets, they're, they're just going to go into the fire, into judgment. They're going to be judged. But a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. Good character, good conduct, faithfulness to God's good word. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So a good teacher or a good person, a a, a truly righteous person, it's going to show in how we live and how we speak in remaining faithful to God's word. A good teacher, a good prophet will, but so will a true follower of Jesus, the truly righteous, bring forth true goodness out of the heart. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. You know, Jesus says here and elsewhere that what, that, that what we say, what comes out of our mouth reveals what's inside us, what's in our hearts, right? Now again, is, is Jesus saying that the truly righteous Will always, without fail, show perfect character, perfect biblical character, perfect conduct. They'll never make mistakes, they'll never Well, if that was true, I think we all need to resign our membership right now, right? So again, it's not perfection here and now, but it's about an overall pattern of life, an overall pattern of life. There are good teachers, there are good, there are followers of Jesus who sin. And I know this is a spoiler alert right? we're right? We are this, right? There are sinful people in this church. There are. I want to let you guys know that. You know, we just recently had a membership class here, and, and God willing, we're going to bring in some new members here. I'm I I bound to warn you, though, you know, the new... We're not a perfect church. We're not full of perfect people. In fact, there isn't a single perfect person in this church, right? So it's not about perfection here and the now. It's about being perfect in Christ through faith in Him, right? And so it's not about perfection, but it is about an overall pattern that you see in life. Do we see a pattern of growth? Growth faithfulness. And oftentimes what we say, what comes out of our mouths reveals what's really in our hearts, right? It does. Then Jesus challenges challenges, stuff, challenges us and he says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do the things I say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven I never knew you depart from me you who practice sin lawlessness so the truly righteous then they enter by the narrow gate they watch out for false prophets and they obey their lord they obey their lord jesus says why do you call me lord lord what is a lord a lord is what is the the ruler the boss right the one who rules and say why do you call me lord? Lord, you're you're my you're you're the boss and yet you don't do what I say. Now I'm going to be the first to tell you, I do not perfectly obey the lord in everything every day. I wish I did. I'm still working on that one, right? But it's one thing to not be perfect and it's another thing what to to have a life which is characterized by persistent consistent disobedience to the Lord. You call him Lord, Lord, but we're not obeying what he says as a consistent pattern of life. That's inconsistent, isn't it? With a profession of Lord, Lord. There are many who profess, Lord, Lord, but they don't do what he says. So Jesus says, then what? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. See, that reveals the the truth about our hearts, doesn't it? False teachers, false converts. In fact, Jesus says there may even be many that will have some very impressive things. It says... Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? To prophesy what? That we, we've gone out and declared your A prophet was one who spoke for God. Have not we gone out and spoke for you? We spoke your word. Or what else? We've prophesied in your name. Cast out demons. Boy, that's pretty impressive, right? They've cast out demons. They've prophesied God's word. They've cast out demons. And how about this one? Done many wonders in your name. They've worked miracles. You might think, well, well, boy, how can someone do all of that but never, but not truly know the Lord? How many of you know that's possible, right? So there are going to be some that are going to say that, but Lord, Lord, and, and he's going to say to them, well, you know, I did know you once upon a time, but then you departed from me. No, he says what? I... Never knew you. They were never in right relationship with God. And he says, "Depart from me, workers of lawlessness, sin is an, lawlessness is another word for sin. Word what? Their lives were characterized by a pattern of sin, of disobedience to God's word, character, conduct, fidelity to His word. This is what, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. So therefore, wow, what are we going to do? Well, Jesus says, therefore, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a wise man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. The stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them Will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand without a foundation and the rain descended, the floods came, the stream beat vehemently and the winds blew and beat on that house and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So the truly righteous enter by the narrow gate. They watch out for false prophets. They obey their Lord and they build their lives on the rock. They build their lives on the rock of Christ, of faith in Christ. So this is the foundation what are we what are you building your life on you 're trying to enter by the, the the broad gate or have you entered through the narrow gate of faith in Christ, putting your trust your reliance in Christ he is the way into the kingdom of heaven faith in him but you know once we Put our faith in him it 's true though too, that begins a process of of building our lives on that solid foundation of trust in him then isn 't it? So are you building on the solid rock of true faith in Christ and obedience to his word, and Jesus says, the one who does that, the one who enters through the narrow gate, puts his or her trust in Christ, the one who builds on that foundation. Boy the storms are going to come, storms of life certainly they 're going to come, but i don 't think Jesus is talking about the storms of life here he 's talking about what the storms of of judgment here. you will stand in the judgment that god's judge, that god 's judgment will not knock you down because you are standing firm in Christ, but some though they hear these words and they don 't build on the solid rock, they build on the shifting sands of Self reliance, self righteousness, their own efforts or works. And then when the the flood of God's judgment comes, what's going to happen to that? They're going to fall, and great will be its fall. They won't stand in God's judgment. And when the people heard these things, they were amazed. They were astonished. Why? Because he taught as one having authority and not as the scribes. See, the people were used to hearing their teachers teach to them by quoting, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this, Rabbi so-and-so said that, and just kind of uh, quoting from that. And here's Jesus. He is in their face, giving it to it, and they could see the authority and the power and the conviction with which he spoke. So they were astonished by that. That building right there is called uh, Millennium Tower. It's in San Francisco. And it's uh, uh, built about uh, 10, 15 years ago. And it had, it's, it's a, a beautiful building. It was, boy, that was the place to be. If you were going to move to San Francisco or you're in something, you to, if you wanted to live in a premier address, this was the place to be. Many of San Francisco's celebrities uh, lived, wanted to get condominiums in this place, the Millennium Tower. That was the place you wanted to be. Well, I said it was the place you wanted to be because not too long after it had been built, they discovered a problem with it. It was sinking and tilting. In fact, it came to be known as the Leaning Tower of San Francisco. Right. Not the Leaning Tower of Pisa here, the Leaning Tower of San Francisco. Settling down, starting to tilt more and more. In fact, they are saying that left, left by itself, within just a few years, the elevators won't even work anymore because of the tilt of the building. You think that's a problem? That's a problem. In fact, it became a, quite a, a source of derision. People paying millions of dollars for these the luxury condominiums there, and then you can't even get in an elevator because the building is tilting too far. In fact, it kind of became a joke. This this cartoon was featured in Forbes magazine. Uh, <laughs> the Millennium Tower of San Francisco sinking like Titanic, right? Well, what was the problem with Millennium Tower? See, we've got our we don't need to go to Italy. We've got one of our own right here in San Francisco Here's the problem with Millennium Tower the foundation they didn't build on the solid rock they built on you see you see the soft clay see the original pilings you know the, a building you don't just start building it it's got a, every building has to have a solid foundation right and a skyscraper you got to go dig down deep as a solid foundation for that and for whatever reason they did not do that. See that right there? They just built into the soft clay. You might think, well, why would they? These are professional engineers. Why would they, why would they not go down further into the better? Well, because they thought that that would be good enough, apparently, and, and I'm not going to venture. Well, okay, I am going to venture a guess. I'm going to say it. Money. It's cheaper, right? Easier. Easier. And you know what? That might have been fine. It might have worked just fine, except that when there were other... They think what happened is when other buildings were built there, with the pressure of that, and then when they were taking water out of the soil in that, that's when all the shifting started. They did not properly anticipate that. And that's when the sinking and the tilting, where that comes from then. So now what are you going to do? Well, they got to fix it. So what's the proposed fix here? Well do what they should have done all along, which is to dig 52 new steel and concrete piles down into where? The bedrock. So there's a modern-day illustration of the folly of building on sinking sand or soft clay rather than the bedrock. And you know what? People do that all the time, don't we? Many people are building their lives on sinking sand rather than the solid rock of Christ. True faith in Christ, obedience to his word, not perfection, but obedience which is revealed, true faith which reveals itself in a life of obedience to him, growing obedience to him. Anything less than that is building our lives on sinking sand they won't survive the judgment. So what? What should we do with this? Again, the truly righteous build their lives on the solid rock of Christ and his word. So one simple question to conclude here. Are you building your life on the solid rock? Have you put your faith in Christ or you're relying on your own efforts, good works? Christ alone is the narrow gate and if it puts your faith in him is it showing in the way you're living your life are you living your life a life of obedience to him I wish I could say my obedience to him is always perfect it isn't but again it's about a, it's about a direction of, the, of life isn't it are you growing in obedience to him why do we call him Lord Lord and not do what he says Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the solid rock, Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that when we enter through that narrow gate, when we build on that solid rock, when the winds and the rains of judgment come, we will stand. So Lord, I pray for the person, maybe someone here or in our family who isn't building on the solid rock, they're building on shifting sand God, we pray that your powerful Holy Spirit would convict them and draw them to yourself, that they would turn away from self reliance or from sinful things and embrace the one way, the narrow way, you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, it is our desire to honor you in all that we do. And God, I am imperfect and I have fallen many times, but I thank you that you're gracious and you're merciful and you pick us up, you dust us off <laughs> and set us back out on, the, on, the, on, the, on that narrow path, Lord. So we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be afraid, that we have eternal life in Jesus' name. May we prove then by the way we live our lives that we truly do believe in you, Lord. We're putting our trust in you. And our aim, Lord, is to please you by the power of your Spirit who lives within us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.